Hi, it's Chris again with Nightfall Audiobooks. This time I am reading Silent Night 2. This is a favorite of mine. It's one of my favorite super chillers next to the original Silent Night, Bad Moonlight, and Goodnight Kiss. The Silent Night series is very fun because it shows the story from both points of view. You get a lot of Reva's point of view, and then you get a lot of antagonists and other characters' point of view. And that's not a super chiller thing. Bad Moonlight is a super chiller, and that's mainly from Danielle's point of view. You really learn to hate Reva. She is something. She's a pain. She's a total pain. I don't think she learned anything from the previous novel. I think she's just back to her old self again. And she's just as fun to hate in Silent Night 2 as she was to hate in the original. There is a third book, and I have not read that one yet. So when I read that, it'll be new for everybody. I have been meaning to do this for quite some time, and I can't wait to get started. I flipped through a few pages. I got an idea of who's who and what's what. We're going to just wing it and see what happens. If you want to get in touch with me, you can write me an email, nightfallaudiobooks at gmail.com. And I am also on YouTube at Nightfall Audiobooks. Feel free to like, comment, and subscribe. I love hearing what you have to say. Tell your friends, tell your mom, tell whoever you think would like to listen to me. Tell them stories by R.L. Stein. So thank you very much for listening, and I will see you at the end of the book. Welcome to a Nightfall Audiobooks production of Silent Night 2 by R.L. Stein, A Fear Street Super Chiller, Book 5. Part 1. A Kidnapping. Chapter 1. Paul Nichols felt like killing someone. He tapped both hands against the steering wheel and waited for the light to change. The stoplight glared at him, reflecting his anger, until the icy street and snow-covered trees and bushes seemed to glow red through the clouded windshield, angry red. The soft, familiar melody of Silent Night came on the radio, and he grabbed the dial and turned the music off with a bitter groan. Less than two weeks before Christmas, Paul thought, staring into the red glow of the traffic light. Cold air blew over his feet from the broken heater. Why did he even bother to turn it on? Nearly Christmas, and he had no job, no money, no nothing. M -m -m Merry Christmas to me, he muttered under his breath. His stammer was back. It always came back when he was angry or tense. The light changed. He floored the gas pedal, and the old Plymouth squealed into the intersection, the smooth tire spinning over the ice. He had to slow down as he reached the center of town. Waynesbridge was known as Christmas Town because of its lavish decorations which included a brightly decorated Christmas tree on every corner of Main Street. The shimmering lights only darkened Paul's mood. He slowed to a stop, allowing a family of four to cross the street. They were smiling, their faces red beneath their wool ski caps. The two kids were pointing to the window of Toy Village, the big toy store on the corner. Watching the father take the little boy's hand as they crossed, Paul thought of his family. Christmas was supposed to be a family time, after all. But not for Paul. He hadn't seen his parents since he was sixteen two years earlier, not since he had dropped out of Waynesbridge High in his junior year. Hope to have a, a rotten Christmas, he muttered, squeezing the steering wheel harder until both hands ached. A few minutes later, he parked the car at the curb in front of his apartment building and climbed out. The late afternoon sky was scarlet, the red ball of the sun lowering behind a two-story brick building. Paul's sneakers crunched over the small piles of hard, dirty snow as he jogged around to the back. The metal stairs clanged beneath him as he made his way to his apartment on the second floor. Shivering beneath his brown leather bomber jacket, he pushed open the door and stepped inside. Hey! Diane Morris glanced up in surprise. 
She made no attempt to rise from the green vinyl couch. Paul's expression remained blank. Diane, you here? She let the copy of People drop from her hand. Yeah, you don't mind, do you, Press? My mom and dad. They're tearing into each other for a change. They're both so drunk, it's disgusting. I couldn't stay there. Paul grunted in reply. He tossed his jacket onto a chair and crossed a small room. An open bag of potato chips lay on the counter that separated the living room from the narrow kitchenette. He picked it up and stuffed a handful of chips into his mouth. Did you get the job, Press? Diane asked, sitting up. He shook his head. Her hopeful expression faded. She lowered her eyes to the floor. What about the one at Pick and Pay? I'm not going to deliver groceries, he exploded, slamming the potato chip bag down on the counter. I'm n n not a delivery boy. Okay, okay, Press, she said softly. She crossed the room to give him a long, tender kiss. He pulled away impatiently, turning his back on her. Press? Diane pretended to be hurt. She had been going with him for three years. She was used to his outbursts. Let me see your sneer, she asked, teasing. Come on, let me see it. He could never stay angry at her. He curled his lip and turned, giving her his best sneer. Diane called him Press because he reminded her of Elvis Presley. He had the same straight black hair, which he wore with long sideburns. He had Elvis Presley's dark romantic eyes, and he had the Elvis sneer, which she had once caught him practicing in front of a mirror. She laughed. You could be a star, Press. You really could. You're really stupid, Diane. He said it with a smile. Yeah, because I hang around with you, she shot back. She stuck her tongue out at him. Diane rubbed her skinny arms through the thin pink sweater she wore over straight-legged black denim jeans. The light from the table lamp caught her white blonde hair tied back with a pink band. The black roots formed a dark, jagged line along her forehead. She studied Paul with her gray-blue eyes, her best feature. Before she had become a blonde, she had always thought of herself as mousy and plain. She was especially self-conscious about her two front teeth, which poked out. She hated it when Press called her rabbit. He only did it when he wanted to annoy her. Diane was 17, a year younger than Press. She had graduated from Waynesbridge High the previous June with a solid C average. She could have gotten better grades, but it was impossible to study at home, since her parents were always drunk, always fighting. She spent most of her time at Press's shabby apartment. She hadn't been able to find a job either. Oh, sigh, she declared, shaking her head. She dropped down on the couch. The vinyl cushion made a loud whoosh. She raised her eyes to his. Now what are we going to do? Did you see any other ads in the paper? Press shook his head. He carried the bag of potato chips over to the couch and sat down next to her. He stared at the bag as if studying it. Well, we're broke, Diane continued. She poked him in the ribs. How are you going to buy me that jaguar you promised me? He sneered. Don't make me laugh. Diane bent to pick up the magazine. I was just reading about a man and a woman who robbed an armored truck. You know, one of those little trucks that carries money from banks? They parked their car so that it blocked off the street and pretended to have a flat. When the armored truck stopped, they both pulled out automatic weapons. They got six million dollars. Press shook his head. Wow, good work. Maybe we could do that, Diane suggested seriously. Diane had fantasies that the two of them would become big-time criminals. She was always coming up with schemes in which they performed wild, daring robberies, just like in the movies, and got away with millions. At first, Press had thought she was joking, making up stories to amuse herself. After a while, he realized that Diane was serious. She really believed they could get rich by pulling off a major crime. What have we got to lose? she asked, a familiar question. That's what she always asked. What have we got to lose? Well, I've already lost one job, he replied bitterly his fingers playing with a tear in the vinyl on the arm of the couch. 
Press thought about the job he had for nearly two years at Dalby's department store. Being a stockroom clerk wasn't exactly a glamorous job, but the pay was enough to live on, and from time to time he had been able to steal some nice items, a leather bomber jacket, a watch, a portable TV. Not a bad job at all. But then, one of the security guards had caught him with a portable cassette player under his jacket, and that was the end of the job. Press had been taken to Robert Dalby himself. Dalby himself. Dalby liked to lecture employees caught stealing before he fired them. What a jerk. Press had been so angry he couldn't even stammer out an excuse. Dalby's face turned red, bright red, and Press had to hold himself back, had to keep his hands stuffed tightly in his jeans pockets, had to fight off the impulse to grab Dalby by the throat, to strangle him with his own silk necktie. Press hadn't been able to find another job. It had been nearly three months. Three months of anger and rejection. Diane's voice broke into his bitter thoughts. He realized she had been talking to him, but he hadn't heard a word. So, she asked impatiently, did you? Did I what? Press asked. The potato chip bag was empty. He crinkled it into a ball and tossed it across the room. Did you scout out Dalby's house? Diane demanded. Her eyes narrowed at him, questioning him. Yeah, I checked it out, he told her. And? And it wouldn't be hard to get in there, he said without enthusiasm. Really? Diane grabbed his hand and squeezed it excitedly. I saw one guard dog. That's all, Press told her. You really think we could get in? Diane demanded, holding on to his hand. Piece of cake. He turned to study her face. Hey, you're really serious about this? About robbing Dalby's house? Don't I look serious? She replied. It's the perfect revenge, isn't it, Press? He frowned. Not if we get caught. He flashed back three months and felt the store security guard's hand on his shoulder. Once again, he saw everyone in the store staring at him, staring as he was dragged up to Dalby's sixth-floor office to be fired. You were in Dalby's house once, right? Diane asked, lost in her own thoughts. You saw the stuff in there? Yeah, it was last winter. Some kind of store party, Press replied. The place is loaded with antiques. Diane is really serious about this, he realized again. Am I serious about it? He wasn't sure. We could do it, Press, Diane said excitedly, squeezing his hand. We could pay Dobby back for firing you. We could get in there and grab enough antiques to make sure we have a great Christmas. I mean, we could have a tree and presents and a turkey dinner and everything. With a burst of enthusiasm, she wrapped her arms around his shoulders and kissed him. Her lips felt hot against his. We could do it, she cried. It would be just like a movie, Press, just like a movie. She held him tightly, her thin body trembling with excitement. What do you say? He stared across the room. His eyes moved from the shabby furniture to the threadbare carpet. Then, in a quick, sudden movement, he stood up. He turned and stared at her, a smile breaking out on his handsome face. I have a better idea, he said. Huh? Diane gaped up at him, her mouth hanging open. Forget the antiques, Press told her with a sneer. What do we know about antiques? Nothing. Yes, but, Diane started to say. He raised a hand to silence her. What is Dalby's most precious possession? Diane shrugged. How should I know? His daughter, Press declared. Reva, Diane murmured, surprised she remembered the name. Reva Dalby. Right, Press said. How much can we get for antiques? A few thousand, maybe? Maybe. But Dalby will fork over millions for his daughter. Diane chewed tensely on her lower lip, her gray blue eyes locked on Press. Yes, Press declared. Y you want a movie? It'll be just like a movie, Diane. We just have to work it out carefully, step by step. Scene by scene, and with a little luck, he grinned excitedly at her. With a little luck, we could be millionaires by Christmas. All we have to do is kidnap Reva Dalby. Chapter 2 
Riva Dalby backed up to the railing and raised her hands as if to shield herself. The dark figure continued to move toward her, advancing slowly, steadily. She let out a soft cry. The department store was dark and empty, silent except for the chorus singing Silent Night on the speaker system. The man drew closer. He was breathing hard, each breath a menacing groan. Riva pressed her back against the low chrome balcony railing. She glanced down to the main floor of the department store, shadowy and still, five floors below. She stared at the enormous Christmas tree twinkling brightly in the center aisle. Another chorus of Silent Night jarred the eerie quiet. Please, no, she cried to her attacker. He had a pistol in one hand. He leapt at her, arms outstretched. She shut her eyes and ducked. She could feel a cold gust of wind as he sailed over her, sailed over the balcony. She could hear him scream all the way down. Then she heard shattering glass, a loud crack. Then a long, tortured scream as her attacker landed on a Christmas tree. It shorted out. He twisted and writhed in the blue-white electrical current. Zap, 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 zap. The stinging hiss of death. A sound Riva knew she'd never forget. And then she heard his thin voice. He was saying, Excuse me, miss. Miss? Zap, 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 zap. Excuse me, miss, he was saying. Can you help me? Riva blinked. She realized she wasn't up on the balcony. She was behind the perfume counter on the first floor. Slowly, she left the past and the scene she had pictured again and again since the Christmas before. Now it was a year later. One year later, and she still thought about that horrifying night every time she heard Silent Night over the store's sound system. She couldn't help but remember. Can you help me, miss? The voice finally cut all the way through her thoughts. She was facing a middle-aged man with thinning gray hair. He was wearing a brown overcoat and carrying a worn leather briefcase. From the impatient frown on his face, she could tell he had been trying to get her attention for some time. Do you work here? he asked, staring at her with gray watery eyes. No, I just like to stand behind the counter, Riva replied, rolling her eyes. Cold blue eyes that grew colder as she gazed at the man's threadbare overcoat. Could you help me choose a perfume? he asked, staring down at the shiny glass bottles inside the display case. For you? Riva demanded with a scornful laugh. The man blushed. No, of course not. For my wife. Sorry, I'm on my break. Riva turned away from him. She lowered her gaze to an oval mirror on a counter and began pushing at her wavy red hair with one hand. On your break? But the store just opened, the man declared, his face growing even redder. Riva didn't look up from the mirror. I don't make the schedules, she said. She stared at his face in the mirror, enjoying his angry, helpless expression. She had to struggle to keep from laughing aloud. The man took a deep breath. Listen, miss, couldn't you help me? You seem to be the only salesperson in this department. I've got to be at work in ten minutes. Sorry, store rules, Riva replied, yawning into her hand. But, really? Riva turned to face him. Her eyes rolled scornfully over his unstylish brown overcoat, his shabby briefcase. You probably do better in a bargain basement, she told him. The stairs are right over there, she pointed. The man uttered an exasperated cry. He angrily jerked his briefcase off the counter and stormed toward the exit. What is his problem? Riva asked herself, laughing. I was just trying to help the poor geek save a little money. Riva's laughter was cut short by someone noisily clearing her throat behind her. Riva turned to see Arlene Smith, the cosmetics department supervisor, glaring at her disapprovingly, her bony arms crossed tightly in front of her gray suit jacket. Riva, you were inexcusably rude to that customer, Ms. Smith, as she liked to be called, said through clenched teeth. He'll probably survive, Riva replied dryly. But will the store survive? Ms. Smith demanded angrily. Riva rolled her eyes. I'm sorry, Ms. Smith, she said, emphasizing the Ms. But you really shouldn't get on my case just because you're having a bad hair day. 
Miss Smith narrowed her eyes menacingly. I'm going to talk to your father about this, Reva. Your attitude has not improved. I wish you would talk to him, Reva said with a sigh. I didn't want to come back to this store this Christmas, but my father made me. He said it would be good for me. I don't think it's good for any of us, Miss Smith replied huffily. She made her way across the department, taking angry strides, her high heels clicking on a hard floor. Where did she get those shoes? At a blacksmith's? Reva asked herself, chuckling. She raised her hands and examined her nails. They were long and perfect, and the night before she had coated them with a new shade of purple. Just for fun, she had put a black dot in the center of each nail. She knew it would drive Ms. Smith crazy. Even though it was early, not yet ten o'clock, the store had begun to fill up with eager Christmas shoppers. Reva watched a very plump woman across the aisle, trying to squeeze between two racks of pocketbooks. How about eating a salad once in a while, she called to the woman, knowing she couldn't be heard over the din. Reva reached under the counter and pulled up the tall bottle of Evian water she kept there. She took a sip, then stopped when she saw a familiar figure loping down the aisle toward her, Kyle Storer, the usual grin on his face. Kyle thought he was so hot. He had been hitting on Reva ever since school vacation had started, and they both began working at Dalby's. But she had refused to go out with him. Why? He was too eager. Now, here he was, coming to try again. Reva groaned to herself, watching him approach, his green eyes twinkling. Kyle wore tan chinos over black boots and a blue and white checked western-style shirt with a navy blue string tie. Cute. Real cute, Reva thought scornfully. What a cowboy. Maybe he's coming over here to yodel. Hey. What's up? Kyle asked, his grin growing wider. What's up, Reva? What are you supposed to be? Reva asked, staring at his string tie. Kyle's grin faded. Huh? You mean my tie? You like it? I'm kind of busy, Reva said. Hint, hint. Kyle ignored her cold reception. The store is really crowded already, he said, glancing around. Guess your dad is raking it in today, huh? He laughed as if he had just made a joke. Kyle, I really can't talk, Reva insisted. I already got in trouble with Ms. Smith this morning. Why can't he take a hint, Reva wondered. If he asks me out again, he's going to be sorry. You doing anything Saturday night? Kyle asked, leaning over the glass counter. Reva shot her hand out, tipping over the bottle of Evian water. Oh, I'm so sorry, she cried, watching the water spill down the front of Kyle's chinos. Kyle took a step back, his mouth dropping open as he saw the big wet stain on the front of his pants. How embarrassing, Reva cried with mock sympathy. Kyle, what will the customers think? Kyle shrugged and tried to act cool, but his face was bright red. Later, he mumbled and hurried away. When she finished laughing, Reva took a long drink from the Evian bottle. Then she turned to see Francine, the frizzy-haired mousy woman who shared the perfume counter duties, stepped up beside her, shaking her head. Sorry I'm late, Reva. My car broke down in the middle of the Vision Street. Has it been terribly busy? Yes, terribly, Reva replied, sighing. I'm exhausted already, Francine. I'm going to take my break. See you. Francine tried to sputter a protest, but Reva ignored her and hurried down the aisle. As she passed by the Christmas tree, Reva felt a cold chill on the back of her neck. Once again, memories of last Christmas and all its horror forced their way into her mind. I promised I'd be a kinder person after all that had happened last Christmas, Reva remembered. I promised I'd be nicer, warmer, more considerate. Well, I would be nicer if I were lying in a bikini on a hot beach somewhere, she told herself. I'd be a lot nicer, that's for sure. But how can I be nice if I have to spend Christmas vacation, standing behind a perfume counter, waiting on tacky jerks in this stuffy store? Reva made her way past the stocking department, headed down three steps, and spotted her cousin Pam beside a long wall of greeting cards. Pam had red and green ribbons in her straight blonde hair, 
She wore a short green skirt over red tights and a red stretch top. I knew I could count on Pam to have plenty of Christmas spirit, Reva thought sarcastically. I guess she's happy just to have a job. Pam's mother had been laid off most of the year, and her father had to give up his drugstore and go to work for someone else. But, thought Reva, Cousin Pam seems as bright and cheery as ever. And who is that babe she's talking to? As Reva entered the stationery department, she saw that Pam had her hand on the shoulder of a dark, very handsome boy in black denims and a white sweater. He had straight black hair pulled back in a short ponytail, a broad, tanned forehead, and intense, dark eyes that were locked on Pam. He was smiling at Pam, the most beautiful smile Reva had ever seen. Hi, guys, Reva said, stepping between Pam and the boy. Pam was forced to remove her hand from his shoulder and take a step back. How's life in this stationery department, Pam? Reva asked, her eyes on the boy. Great, Pam replied. It's an easy job. Not bad at all. Way to go, Reva said. She still hadn't taken her eyes from the boy. Have you, uh, met Victor? Pam asked. This is Victor Diaz, my cousin Reva. Hi. Victor gave Reva a shy smile. Wow, Reva thought. What a smile. What a babe. I am totally captured by this guy, Reva told herself. Do you work in the store? Reva asked, returning his smile, training her blue eyes on his. Yeah, for the holiday, Victor replied. In the stock room, usually. The stock room? I have to work there every day from three to five, Reva said. She absolutely hated working in the stock room. But now, she thought, studying Victor's handsome face, maybe she'd enjoy it a lot more. Do you like it here? She asked him, eager to keep the conversation going. Be careful, Victor, Pam broke in. Reva's father owns all the Dolby stores. Victor smiled. I love working in a stock room. I hope to work there all my life, he choked. Reva laughed. Victor glanced at his watch. I'd better get back. See you later, Pam. He turned to leave. I work in a perfume department, Reva called after him. Come say hi sometime, okay? Nice to meet you, Victor called over his shoulder. He disappeared into the crowd of shoppers. Isn't he terrific, Pam gushed. Reva finally faced her cousin. Seems like a good guy, she said casually. Pam's face was flushed. Her green eyes flashed excitedly. I think this is the real thing, Reva, she whispered, grinning. I mean, I met Victor only a few weeks ago, but I, well, I'm just nuts about him. That's great, Pam, Reva replied without any emotion, as if Pam had just told her it was cloudy outside or something just as dull. She raised the backs of her hands to her cousin. How do you like my nails? Huh? Pam seemed confused by the sudden change of subject. Will these drive Ms. Smith wild or what? Reva demanded, holding the black dotted purple fingernails in Pam's face. To Reva's surprise, Pam reached down and picked up a silver-bladed letter opener from a stationary display. Pam raised the letter opener high. Pam, what's that? Reva cried. Here's what I think of your nails, Pam exclaimed, and she plunged the letter opener into Reva's chest. Chapter 3 Reva uttered a choked gasp. Pam laughed. She raised the letter opener and pushed the blade two or three more times into Reva's chest. Gotcha, Pam cried, her green eyes sparkling with excitement in the bright store light. Reva took a step back, her eyes still wide with fear. She stared at the fake letter opener, realizing that it had a sliding blade. The blade slid into the handle when it was pressed against anything. Still grinning, Pam pushed the blade into the palm of one hand. Do you believe this joke letter opener is the biggest seller in the stationery department this Christmas? Pam declared, shaking her head. It's very funny, Reva said weakly. Glad you're having fun, Pam. It beats last Christmas, Pam remarked, eyeing Reva meaningfully. For sure, Reva muttered. 
Riva said goodbye to her cousin. Then she walked as slowly as she could back to the perfume counter, thinking about Victor. After work, Riva made her way up to the executive offices on the sixth floor to meet her father. She passed the luxurious reception area with its leather couches, fresh flowers and tall glass vases, and fabric-covered walls studded with modern paintings. Following the hall to her father's office in the corner, Riva paused as the balcony came into view, the balcony from which she could look down on all five floors to the last one, the balcony where she had almost met her death. Feeling a cold shiver down her back, Riva held her breath and jogged the rest of the way, her eyes straight ahead. Mr. Dobby was standing in the doorway to his office, a stack of files in his hands. He smiled as Riva approached. How's it going? Riva's father was a trim, handsome man who worked out every day and took very good care of himself. He was forty-six but appeared younger. The only signs of age were the creases at the corners of his dark eyes and the sweeping trails of gray on the sides of his black, closely trimmed hair. How's it going? Not great, Riva complained. She followed her father into his office and sat down in front of his wide, blonde wood desk. She turned the photo in the plexiglass frame on the corner of the desk to peek at it. She had seen it at least a thousand times, but it still made her feel sad. It was a snapshot of Riva, her little brother, Michael, and their mother on the beach at the Cape. It had been taken five years earlier, just six months before Riva's mother had died. What a photo, she thought, turning it back. So happy and so sad at the same time. She always wondered how her father could bear to keep it in front of him all day. Mr. Dobby sat in his chair and leaned over his desk, studying Riva's face. Ms. Smith complained about you this morning, he murmured. Riva shrugged as if to say, who cares? I really don't want to work here this Christmas, Daddy, she said, not meaning to sound as whiny as she did. I mean, it's not like we need the money. Mr. Dobby frowned. He tapped a pencil on the desktop as he continued to stare at her thoughtfully. I really want you to work, he said softly. For your own good, Riva, I know it brings back bad memories, but I feel you have to get over them. I really need a rest, that's all, Riva insisted. Why can't I go to St. Croix with Michael? Because the Harrisons didn't invite you, her father answered bluntly. They only invited your brother. Riva blew a strand of red hair off her forehead. Bummer, she muttered. Tell you what, Mr. Dobby said, tossing down the pencil. His expression brightened. Stick it out here in the store this Christmas, and we'll go somewhere warm in February. Really? Riva pulled herself up from her slouching position in the chair. Her blue eyes brightened. And you can take a friend along, he added. You can't get a better offer than that. Riva laughed. Is this what you might call a bribe? Mr. Dobby nodded. Yes, it's definitely a bribe. Riva jumped up, leaned over the desk, and kissed his cheek. His dark eyes grew wide with surprise. He wasn't used to receiving so much affection from his daughter. Okay, so I'm letting you bribe me, Riva said, smiling. I love being bribed, actually. And you'll keep the job in the store, he demanded. Yeah, sure, Riva replied. And I won't get any more complaints from Ms. Smith that you're being rude to the customers, he asked, raising his eyebrows. Hey, don't expect miracles, Riva exclaimed. She started to walk over to the coat closet against the wall. Are you coming home? Mr. Dalby sighed and pointed to the stack of files on his desk. I can't. I have to work late. I have all these inventory reports to go over. Riva pulled on her coat. Okay, see you later. She stopped at the door. Thanks for the bribe, Daddy. Any time. Humming to herself, Riva made her way down the hallway toward the two service elevators that were four store employees. Most of the offices she passed were empty. The desks out front were empty, too. The secretaries went home promptly at five. Her voice sounded hollow in the silent hallway. 
she stopped humming. She didn't like being out there all alone. Feeling her heart pound harder, Reva stepped up to one of the employee's elevators. The doors were shiny aluminum. She could see her reflection in them. Two Rivas stared back at her, slightly distorted, both a little anxious, a little frightened. She pushed the button. The doors to the elevator to her left slid open. She started toward it, but a loud voice behind her uttered a sharp cry, and strong hands grabbed her arms from behind. 